live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. I'm Padawan J? I I would hope so. Oh, okay. Last I checked, I am. I was going to say, unless you pulled a curveball and did the, the ghost appearance like Coach Duffy did on the sports <laughs> edition. You know, it's been that kind of week. I wouldn't doubt it. But we are right now tuned in for the entertainment edition of the ODPH. So you know that you're here for this. I'm yes. always here for this. And the ODPH Society is always here for this. And we definitely, definitely, definitely want to keep the conversation going with you. So swing on over to ODPHpodcast.com. Join the conversation on our social media accounts. Check out the T Public Store sale going on this week. You want to get that new ODPH swag? I hope you do. New logos are up there right now. Check out Parlay Points through the complimentary blog section of the show. All that and so much more. And always remember to use the hashtag ODPHpod. But kicking off the entertainment edition of the podcast, the biggest news of the week had to be the release of one of the most anticipated trailers on Disney+. Plus. Uh-huh. One of the most anticipated trailers of 2021. Arguably, yeah. And the king has returned to his throne. Well, he's come to take the throne. He hadn't sat on it before. I'm sorry. In my opinion, he has been there. The most badass bounty hunter in all the galaxy has returned to the Star Wars universe via the Mandalorian. He's in the conversation. I'll give you that. Oh, we're going to be having words after the show. But we knew from season two of the Mandalorian's finale that we were going to have a spinoff show, and we finally got the trailer to one of the most anticipated shows on our radar, and that is The Book of Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. Now coming to streaming services on December 29th, Disney Plus. Yes. Have that date saved, and we have a lot to digest because the trailer gave a lot to go off of. We are going to be talking spoilers about it. We definitely want to have the conversation with you, but we're telling you if you don't want to be spoiled for whatever reason, pause right here at the episode. Because once we give the countdown, we're deep diving. So in three, two, one, pad. What did you think? I love this trailer. Obviously, I'm super excited for it because, hey, it's anything to do with Star Wars. But I got to admit, I was a little curious, and I don't want to say skeptical, but I'm a little, like, unsure what to expect from this. Just because it's uncharted territory, you know, not really any... It's it's one of the interesting things in Star Wars where... They have free reign to to do with him what they want because, you know, this obviously takes place in the same kind of time frame as The Mandalorian. So it's post Return of the Jedi. So episode six, you know, but not quite episode seven Force Awakens territory. Mm-hmm. And we got to remember Boba Fett was never mentioned maybe outside of a name drop in any of the sequel films. So this is one of the rare unique opportunities in Star Wars where you're kind of telling, you know, a prequel as to where we are in the timeline with Star Wars, but they're not exactly handcuffed by you have to get him to a certain point and certain things happen have to happen and certain deaths have to happen. So I wasn't quite sure what to expect, but the trailer dropped in, yo, I want it now. The king is back. Long live the king. Boba has been on this renaissance since they finally retconned the egregiousness that happened to him in Return of the Jedi. 
And since they've introduced him in the Mandalorian universe, which obviously the Mandalorian is a whole other ballgame on its own, yeah. it definitely kicked open the door for expansion of the Star Wars mythos, which fans have been all in on. Dave Filoni and John Favreau have done this amazing job creating this new universe inside the thresholds of what we have come to expect from this franchise. Oh, yeah. So, obviously, with The Mandalorian being such a success, and they wanted to tie in Boba Fett because, obviously, of the lineage there, it's been a win-win thus far. So also, Boba Fett's kind of popular with, uh, with one or two people. Uh, hi. Yes. Right here. I'm keeping the volume down because I knew I blew everybody's eardrums out when we did the review with, of his debut on The Mandalorian. But to see what they were going to do here and, obviously, giving him his own show, mm-hmm. the expectations were through the roof. Yeah. And rightfully so, because as you touched upon, he's one of the most popular characters in all the Star Wars universe. We didn't see him in the last three movies. Yeah, I was saying also to go off of one of the most popular characters in the, in the series, he's also one of the most popular characters, period, in anything. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I dare you to find me a character more popular or more cosplayed as than Boba Fett. It's tough. It, 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 there are a couple you can mention. Obviously, Batman's one. You know, and there are others, but he's got to be top five. He's definitely in that conversation. There's no question about it. I mean, when you take away from the Star Wars mythos of obviously everybody knows Yoda and Vader and Han and and Luke and Chewie and Princess Leia, Boba's right in that conversation. Oh, yeah. And in most times when some site does a fan vote of most popular Star Wars character, he's going to be top five, if not top three. Yeah. I've seen a few rare instances where he doesn't crack that, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? Well, yeah, But well, nine times out of ten, he'll crack top five, top three. And he's come a long way since his debut in the holiday special. Yeah, that's the, something a lot of folks might not know because, hey, they aired it once and then never aired it again. It's on YouTube if you want to try and go through it. Try. It's a god-awful piece of shit. Uh, technically, his first appearance was in the Star Wars holiday special, but his first large audience debut was in Empire Strikes Back in 1980. Yes, exactly. When he debuted in 80, he definitely set that tone, and what they did to him in Return of the Jedi was just egregious. Well, you got to think just his de- his on-screen, big-screen debut in, in uh, Empire Strikes Back, where he's just sits there with the collection of other bounty hunters, and, and Vader just looks at him specifically and just goes, no disintegrations. Yes. I mean, that's when you get co-signed by Vader. You know you're on that level. Like, if Vader's giving you marching, like, giving you marching orders that, like, do this and I'll take care of you, you know he's uh, someone to be reckoned with. Absolutely. And like I say, when I, whenever it's, we start talking Jedi, I get fired up because of how they did Boba in that movie. It's just, it's a sore subject, folks. But that's how it was so great to see him brought back in The Mandalorian. And now we are at the post-Mandalorian era of Boba Fett. We know Tamura Morrison is returning as Boba Fett. Yeah, uh, obviously that made a lot of sense for the Mandalorian since the original actor who played him, Jeremy, uh, played him, Boba Fett, uh, was an actor by the name of Jeremy Bullock. Uh, He unfortunately passed away uh, in 2020, so couldn't play the role. But I think it just made all the sense in the world from a standpoint of Boba Fett is a clone of Jango Fett. Jango Fett and all the clones were played by Tamora Morrison, so hey, why not have him come and play a part again? Yes, and now... As he is ascending to the post Jabba the Hutt era, we do jump right into the trailer where it appears they're on Tatooine, mm-hmm. and they're right in front of Jabba's old stomping grounds. Yeah, it's his palace. Yes. And we do hear that Boba in the background is explaining to, uh, in a recap uh, montage to the Mandalorian, that he's not a bounty hunter. Mm-hmm. And we do hear that voice going on, even though we do see him getting suited up in his new palace, uh-huh. which is a very cool scene, just kind of establish. What is the tempo for this show? Yeah. 
And then we start getting into a little bit more of the tattooing atmosphere. We do see the return of Ming Na Wen mm-hmm. as Fennec. Yep. And they're going to have a business meeting with someone else that's at a throne. So we're assuming it's another crime boss. Yeah, because we know from the post credit scene of uh, The Mandalorian that uh, Boba Fett killed a very, very uh, large and very overweight uh, right-hand dude of uh, Jabba from Return of the Jedi. I'm blanking on his name. It's the same good dude as in the movie. He took over and filled the, filled the shoes. So presumably, while he's doing this, and that's all fine and dandy for the people in the room because in Jabba's palace, because what the hell are they going to say? He'll just mm. he'll just kill him. Yeah. There's it's like anytime you see it like a gangster mobster movie, like somebody steps in to fill the shoes, and everybody else in the area is like, whoa, 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 slow down. We're not okay with this. And then antics ensue. I, it's going to be much of the same. That like he's saying he's running the show now, but there's going to be a few people who are going to take exception to that. Right. And as we see the Jabba is, or I should say Jabba's, Jabba's successors are all trying to grasp the throne. Boba is coming in there trying to make peace with everybody. And then we do see a standoff with a few people. They're not exactly seeing Boba's vision. Yeah, I mean, and this this makes sense. Boba's trying to take over. Boba's trying to, you know, grasp the reins, as it were. And and to do that, it, it makes more sense to use the folks who are already established in there already have a hand in things rather than bring in a whole new batch of faces and try to establish those relationships. Why, why do extra work when half the work's already done for you? Exactly. And they do or run a sound clip going on there where Boba's explaining Jabba ruled with fear. I plan to rule with respect, which I think is a very, very telling point of what the tempo of the show is going to be. And he's not wrong. Like, you know, Han crossed Jabba at least twice. Mm. Yeah. Twice that I can remember. And he put a bounty on him so that, you know, to loosely quote uh, A New Hope, you know, you won't be able to set foot in any star system. You know, so he did rule through fear. And and let's face it, nobody crossed Jabba. Right. But Boba's reputation is already carrying through there as we see there is an altercation. And Fennec is looking at Boba like, what did you do? Yeah. But Boba is realizing that with great power comes great responsibility. Mm -hmm. A la Ben Parker. Yeah. So this is now going into a transition phase where he is now meeting in another shot with the captains that were working under Jabba. Yeah, uh, this is interesting because, again, it looks like he's trying to step in, but there are obviously some folks who have issue with that because at one point, you know, and a couple shots later, it says, hey, what's to stop us from killing you and taking what we want? Yes. You know, so, so it's, it's going to be a very uh, tense moment. Right, but it definitely works in the favor because what Boba's trying to do is ascend to the throne. Mm-hmm. And as he's sitting in Jabba's palace and looking over Tatooine with Fennec, he realizes what's going on in this situation and what Bobby is even saying. Why make conflict when we can have co- cooperation and be rich? Yeah. And as you're seeing different shots of Tatooine and some of the alien characters, we're going to see this episode. And then when one of the captains gets very slick with Boba and Fennec and says, what's preventing us from killing you all? And Fennec just kind of looks and says, to paraphrase a little bit, well, you could try, but remember, Jabba would take you out for uh, speaking out of turn. And Boba just quietly goes, well, please speak freely. Mm-hmm. So he's playing, saying that he's not going to be you know, messed around with here. And that's the establishment that he wants to get now returning after being out of the limelight for so long. We get another great action sequence going on where it seems like some guards of some sort are attacking our pair yep. of anti-heroes. And Boba does what Boba does best. Shots him in the face. Yep. And we do see Fennec is having a standoff with him, too. It's a great action scene. I can't wait to see this. Yeah, Ming-Na Wen's doing great. Like, I already, you know, felt she could kick my ass if I looked at her the wrong way. 
this is being even more confirmed in the show, especially with the line she had, you know, oh, under jobs, would you say such insolence? And I'm like, even me, like, I'm not in the damn show. I'm not <laughs> in any harm's danger. And I'm sitting back like, uh-oh. Well, we, we know what she can do. We've seen her on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and yeah. I fully buy in it. Yeah. And this is where he puts down the threat to the captains. And jo- and Boba is just saying they're like, speak freely. Like, make a move and we'll see what happens. I'll say, I love the shot, though, where we get it from the fight and Fennec stands up and Boba's just sitting on the chair. Boba's vibing. Yeah. He's just sitting there. He's got, like, one arm on the on the arm of the chair. Only thing missing, you know, is an ottoman so he can throw his feet up. Yeah. Like, he is vibing. Well, he's known that this has been his destiny and that he's now has this weird second chance after being presumed dead and now being brought back into the life that he yeah essentially tried leaving yeah but now he sees a way that he can make this work into his favor yeah and that's gonna be the book of the show like this is gonna be how he writes his next chapter a la the book of boba fett yeah and it's gonna be interesting to see where the show goes just because there is a large stretch of his history that we just don't know what happened obviously we know you know Django as part of his payment wanted a son of his own Unaltered, so that hence why they gave him, uh, they gave Django Boba not altered, and by not altered, I mean unlike the clones who were aged to, uh, who were changed to age rapidly mm-hmm. in a short space of time, not the case with Boba, right? You know, so that's why he aged at a normal rate, you know. So we know that we know his father trained him, and then we kind of know some details from Clone Wars and such of what he did after Attack of the Clones, and even through through some of that, I think he made a brief appearance in Rebels as well. But there's a big, I don't, you know, I don't think he showed up in Rebels, but there's a large stretch from when he lost, uh, you know, his ship Slave One, and I don't care what they call it nowadays, it's Slave One. Right. You know, from when he lost Slave One to when he appears in Empire. I'm curious as to maybe we'll get some backstory and maybe fill in some blanks, because that's like a 30 year plus year stretch and we just don't know what the hell he did. Well, I think that's one benefit of doing these shows on Disney Plus, that the creative teams are allowed to fill in the blanks or really paint a new picture. And that's a fantastic uh, creative team because uh, directing, there's going to be eight episodes. We only know of four of the directors. One is uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other ones are John Favreau, who you might've heard of. Yeah. Uh, Another one is Robert Rodriguez. Hell yeah. Who did one of the episodes or a couple of the episodes last season for the Mandalorian. Most known for, I think doing the spy kids films. Great films. Uh, but then also some dude named Dave Filoni. Yeah, we might have heard of him. Might have heard Star of Wars him. Fandom. Uh, learned from the feet of George Lucas himself. So if there's anyone who knows what the hell Boba Fett's been up to in the intervening years and can tell us, it's probably Dave. Well, that's the great thing about this show is they put a lot of very talented people behind it. Yeah. You know, behind the screen and in front of the screen. So it's a, a very solid investment to the character that is resonating with so many fans. And this is one thing that when we hear about these shows coming out to Disney Plus from the Star Wars universe, the people behind it are being very delicate and being very smart about giving the fans what they want. Because when you try going back into this era of A New Hope and everything before Force Awakens, it's a sacred time for Star Wars fans. Not saying the other movies don't matter, but let's face it. What brought everybody to the dance? Episodes four, five, and six. Yep. When you have those characters involved in anything, the stakes are raised that much higher. Oh, yeah. Not to say, like, if you didn't do anything with Poe sure, or Ray sure. or any of the newer characters, sure. it wouldn't have that much gravitas behind it. But let's face it. That we, might happen down the road, but like you mentioned, Boba's got like 30-plus years of built-in fandom. Yeah. 
and a mysterious background that nobody's ever touched upon. Yeah. So now is a perfect time to do it. And then the success of this is going to go right into Kenobi when that show goes. Uh-huh. And it's just going to keep growing and growing from there that what they're doing with this mini Star Wars universe on Disney Plus is going to draw that much buzz. Yeah. And if you thought The Mandalorian was big, wait till this show drops. Oh, it's going to be insane. I'm telling you, the 29th of December, social media is going to get shut down. I'm not saying this as a Boba Fett mark. I'm saying this as a realistic fan waiting to yeah. see when this drops because of how much the fans are on it. The only thing that is going to top it, I'm going to call it right now, is Kenobi. Yes. No, Kenobi will top it because just for the sure fact, you have Ewan McGregor returning to reprise the role of Obi-Wan Kenobi for the first time in six, 16 years. You've also got Hayden Christensen return. And I'm not and I'm not counting any voiceover stuff he did for sequel movies, but straight up playing the role. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you've got Hayden Christensen also returning to reprise his role of Anakin Skywalker in whatever form that's going to take. Again, for the first time in 16 years. Yeah. That's the only thing that's going to break. But still, this show, I'm going to say... And I don't know what's going to happen. If something major spoiler happens in like the first episode, a la Grogu, you know, the child in the first episode of Mandalorian season one, that stayed relatively hidden for most of the day up until the point was like, oh, I don't know how they snuck that in all caps by us without us knowing, you know, that stayed hidden for most of the day. I'm going to say if anything major spoilerly happens with this. It's going to be akin to when Luke showed up in uh, Mandalorian, where it was like that goddamn morning it was already on social media. Yeah, I know. I tried ducking until the last minute when somebody just made it their post. Yep. Just posted the name. I think there could potentially be a surprise uh, yet unannounced uh, appearance in this show, though. Oh, I wouldn't doubt it. You know they're going to load up something for this show. And, and I'm thinking it could be tied to the solo films and specifically, you know, Amelia Clark uh, reprising her role as Kira. Ooh. So, and and I'm drawing this off of some of my theory on theorying and whatnot. I haven't read this online, you know, but I'm just kind of drawing some conclusions and connecting some dots. Uh, you know, in the, so in the Clone Wars, uh, which you should go watch, all seasons are on Disney Plus. It's fan-fucking-tastic. Uh, there is a point in the show where Darth Maul, in an effort to further his own ends and further his own plans, unites some of the major uh, crime syndicates under his banner in an effort to kind of run the underworld and, and further his plans. And so those some of those were uh, groups were the Black Sun, Crimson Dawn, Death Watch. Yeah, he had some Mandalorian Super Commandos, the Hut Clans, the Knight Brothers, and then the Pike Syndicate. Mm-hmm. And so he united them and ran things and then kind of disappeared and whatnot. And we saw a glimpse of that in Solo with Kira. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, Maul saying, oh, I'll come back, you know, we'll train you, blah, 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 this and that, to run things. Obviously, at this point, Darth, spoiler alert, Darth Maul is dead. Mm-hmm. Darth Maul died in an episode of Rebels set right before uh, A New Hope. So presumably Kira might be running things. And if, you know, cause she is still alive, she made an appearance last couple months, last six months or so in one of the star Wars comics. So, and all of the folks that are in the trailer that are meeting Boba Fett at the table are none of them are the groups that I mentioned. There's no Pike syndicate. There's no black sun. There's no crimson dawn, you know, huts are a whole other story, but none of those major families are there at, that meeting so presumably 
if fat starts trying to make noise and take over things, I mean, you've already got a group established outside of Tatooine running things. They might take exception to that because you're moving in on their territory, which traditionally in mobster gangster movies, they don't like. Right. So could be, we, you know, are we going to see Amelia Clark and Kira and, and, you know, Maul Syndicate show up? Maybe. Would I love to see it? Oh, fuck yes. Yeah, I mean, anything is wide open, and that's a great thing about the show is they didn't give away a lot. No, they gave you enough to go, ooh, I want this. Yeah, and we now know it's going to be the underworld of the Star Wars universe. like Which is something George Lucas was working on years ago that, hey, we might finally get it. Yeah, so this is going to be a whole new dynamic. I'm super amped up to see it, and whatever surprises they want to throw our way, we already, I can already say the safe lock, we'll see the Mandalorian in some yeah. shape or form. Yeah, so we hear his voiceover in the trailer, which I don't know if that's... Something from, you know, unused dialogue from last season or it's something new. But I, w- I would say a safe lock is, you know, the Mandalorian. Show yeah, it, it felt like it felt like a throwback. It felt like a, yeah. you know, could have been like I said, could have been unused dialogue from last season. Yeah, they're, they're known to do that in Star Wars. Absolutely. Final thoughts on this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, absolutely love the trailer. Super, super, super hyped to see it. Uh, it just can't come soon enough. The king is back. Long live the king. Give me any kind of Boba Fett, and I will be happy. This show, so far, looks like a win right out the gate. I love how they're doing the slow buildup of him trying to bring peace and order to the underworld. It's going to be a new take in the Star Wars mythos. I am super psyched up for it. The Book of Boba Fett drops December 29th on Disney+. Plus. We gave you our takes. Now we want to hear yours, ODPH Society. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your takes on the first trailer to come out for The Book of Boba Fett for Disney Plus and Star Wars? We definitely want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. In the not-too-distant future, following the rapid succession of World Wars 3 and 4, past the hidden horrors of secret World War 2, there's not much left. All that remains is a place where folks get together to read and discuss comic books. Sometimes they laugh, sometimes they argue, but they always record and upload their transmissions. You've found one of those transmissions today. Welcome to The Last Comic Shop. Rate, review, and subscribe to our weekly comic book reviews on all the major podcasting platforms at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and I have to talk about some more Fear the Walking Dead. All right. Season 7 has been a steady ride thus far. We're now three episodes into the season, and this one, we're catching up with some old friends because obviously we're dealing with the fallout of a nuclear warhead going off. And what happens to our group of survivors here in the zombie apocalypse? Well, we're getting a little anthology-style introduction of where the landscape is standing right now. All right. It's one of the things I like about this show is when they take the time to really develop each character. So that's the vibe we're getting. And right now, we are going to be talking spoilers about Episode 3 entitled Cindy Hawkins. So you know the deal by now. When we give you that countdown, I start talking spoilers after. So if you don't want to be spoiled, hit pause on the podcast right now. If not, and you're like, hey, let's talk, here we go. Because in three, two, one. Okay, so what did I think? I thought this was a steady episode. Okay. I thought that for what they're doing, like I said, they're taking the time to establish 
what is going on with each member that is surviving this crazy world we live in post-nuclear bomb going off. Post-apocalypse apocalypse. It's a wild scenario, but this episode is focused on John Dory Sr., played by Keith Carradine, and June, played by Jen Elfman, his former daughter-in-law. So this is kind of a catching up because where we last saw them, they jumped into a bunker that was originally for Teddy, your favorite villain on The Walking Dead. Yeah, John Glover. Yes, who did not um, get, get inside in time and was left to watch the world burn as he was envisioning this entire time. If there are any guarantees in life, it's death. Taxes and John Glover playing a smarmy piece of shit. Yes, and he did it flawlessly last season. I was sad to see him go, but you know what? Hey, all good villains get killed off on The Walking Dead. It's kind of a ritual. But now we catch up to what John and June are doing and where they basically are buying their time till it's safe to leave because they somehow have figured out when everything will be clear again. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of you're seeing them just basically going stir-crazy inside the bunker. And it's this is really wearing more and more on John because obviously with his history as being the officer that arrested Teddy because he was tracking down a serial killer, uh-huh. he's now just being stuck in reliving his world every day because he's in one of Teddy's safe houses. That's this weird bunker. Yeah. So that is becoming a crucial point of this episode. Because uh, what they also have going on is this bunker is not exactly holding up to the new changing environment it's in. Mm-hmm. And when they realize, okay, this wall is starting to come in on it, it collapses, and it also shows this room where Teddy was torturing and killing his victims. And in fact, one point it was embalming victims, mm-hmm. which is kind of, like I said, yeah. they, go, they go on the very serious horror aspect. So that's one thing I like about this show, yeah. Because where fear, or where the flagship show plays it super safe these days, fear doesn't. And I like that they take chances. Not all of them are home runs, sure. Like we talked about last week. Last week was uh, just kind of a uh, was a good episode, but nothing like I was like, man, I got to rewatch this. Yeah. This one was really focusing on John and just how he's dealing with it, and he started seeing the vision of Teddy's last victim who was Cindy Hawkins. Mm. And it was something that John could never solve the case. And now he's dealing with the realization of living in this apocalyptic world, plus he's in where he's now reminded of the case he couldn't solve. So he is having a mental breakdown during this episode. Yeah. Worst possible time to do it. And when he's doing this, he's now seeing Cindy all, all over the place. And he's, like, trying to, like, come to realization, like, you know, he could have saved her and just didn't. And it's just, it's driving him mad. And at one point, he takes off from the bunker. Oh, shit. Because he's, like, he's hearing voices. And he's going out there into the apocalyptic world. And he sees, like, Cindy, and he's trying to talk to Cindy. And it turns out to be a zombie. Oh, jeez. And not just any zombie. Dakota, hey. the little kid serial killer that yeah. we we talked about last season, who somehow, some way, absolutely just destroyed that group without even doing anything, and we thought she was gone, but no, no, no. Uh, at least that's what I took. It was Dakota was re- was brought back to life. Surprise, motherfucker. Yeah, and it's just kind of a weird scenario because after he winds up getting rid of Dakota, there's a group that's watching them, mm-hmm. and. 
this group, which we're now starting to see a little bit more and more of each day, is trying to say that you guys need to come with us. And at first glance, I wasn't really sure if this is Strand's people or not. Because sure. as we've seen, Strand has ascended to this weird um, dictatorship that's going on, which, I mean, he's he's living the good life right now. Oh, yeah. Which it, it's, it's kind of a crazy thing, but Coleman Domingo is crushing that role. And we see that they're trying to, this group is trying to recruit John and June, and John is just not dealing with this. And June is kind of like trying to talk some sense to him, but John is figuring out like no matter what this dream is that they have, that they're going to survive. They're not. And obviously because of what has happened Mm -hmm. that the countdown that they keep doing, like, you know how the, the, when you go to work and you see a sign that says no accidents have happened in X amount of days, yeah, yeah, yeah. they have a chalkboard that's they're doing the same thing. Like X X amount of days until the world is safe to walk or something to paraphrase. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Paraphrase that. But we see something like that happen. And then John is sitting there just going like this this whole dream that he's had that like things are going good and I think June is just doing this to keep her own sanity. They realize this isn't going to happen. And this is causing problems between them. And then when this finally comes to, you know, get their heads back together because this group is like trying to go after June and John and take them out. John finally like has this like moment of clarity where everything mm-hmm. like he stops seeing the visions and takes everybody out in this very cool gun standoff, which he does. I mean, he's a former officer and he winds up saving the day. But during this, they they also like are trying to save the bunker. And during this time when one of the uh, the group goes down into inside the bunker, John winds up taking him out down there. Mm-hmm. and reveals the room, and he finds Cindy's body mm-hmm. inside one of the walls, which, guess what? Now all the visions that he's been having all episode have now finally gone away because he now has peace. It's a weird thing to see, but it works. But also, during this, the bunker is coming down on him. they got to leave. Sure. At ironic time, Strand's rangers show up. Ah, and more or less bring everybody back to the tower. Now, as, as I guess it's being ta- is called, I call it like Strand's Castle because yeah. he's really making this thing into an imposing place. Yeah. But he winds up bringing John and June back and offering asylum to him, which is kind of a weird thing because as we saw last episode or two episodes ago, he threw a guy off the roof because he was like, I'm not going to get distracted by my former life. Right. So now he's trying to really appease everybody. And obviously June could really help out with her being with her uh, as a nurse in an obviously pre-apocalypse can obviously help yeah. a lot yeah. with, with a, with a budding community that's forming. So while this is going on, John is basically sitting there like, where's Morgan and strands like, well, you know, he's not welcome here and, yeah, and reasons. And yeah. And John is basically like, well, go fuck yourself. <laughs> like pretty much. And Strand's like, listen, I'm just, I, we saved you. You know, you're going to die out there. You should be coming into my world. Stand-up guy. Yeah, and more or less, like, John is just sitting there just like, no, nah, man, I, 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 I might take my chances. <laughs> like, he's kind of leaning that. At one point, Strand pours a drink for everybody to be like, cheers and welcome to the place. And John's like, no, nah, I'm good. And Strand's like, okay, we'll see about this. <laughs> So he doesn't do anything to kill him in this episode, but 
it's kind of like a weird foreshadowing of things to come, which I which I did like about this. However, though, the final shot of this episode, and I know if I kind of sped through this a little bit, there wasn't a lot going on except John was just fighting with his ghost the entire time, which it wasn't a bad thing. I don't want to stress that, but it was, sure. but it wasn't like game changing. Like, wow, I did like the take on it that he's seeing this hallucination from his final case, and obviously when he sees the, you know, the zombie Dakota, that was kind of a cool twist too. Sure, I, think I like about this, but the big like pow moment is at the end of this episode. Somehow Morgan tracks down. June and John's bunker mm-hmm. and he's going down there screaming and looking for him. And then on this radio strand gets a hold of him and he says, basically you're in my world now. Yeah. And Morgan's like, no, this is not going down. And strand is like sitting there gloating. I mean, that's the one great thing about his character. His ego just is so driven to say mm-hmm. I'm better than you and you know it like he's MJF yeah the dynamic that uh Coleman Domingo and Lenny James has is just it, this is so amazing yeah and like I say if you get a chance to see the promotional poster or art for this and you see the the two of them facing off oh, this okay. this sums oh, everything yeah, yeah, yeah. up with them and this is like the battle I'm waiting for to happen because Morgan is basically saying I'm going to take you out now and they're like, if you do anything to my friends, I'm going to kill you. And Strand is like, whatever. You're not in a position to do anything. I'm winning. You're not. End episode. Shit. That's why I say with this show, Pad. I, li- I like the dynamic when they do this, and I like when they give time to really grow the characters. And especially John Cena, who we really have not gotten the chance to really sit down and meet. I thought this was a very strong episode for him. I think they they hung on to the ghost of Cindy uh, Hawkins there yeah. a little too much. But I get why. It made sense to the story. And obviously, if you're in one of Teddy's compounds, which is just absolutely wild, it makes sense. Because if you're the arresting cop on a serial killer and you're in his one of his ba- his like hideouts, yeah. how is that going to fuck with you? Uh, pretty, uh, pretty badly. And then factor in, you're in a zombie nuclear wasteland. So it's a post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic scenario. Yeah. It's gotta be a better phrase. Exactly. And the only thing that you get to do down there pretty much is, is drink yourself to, you know, oblivion. But when they run out of that, it's like, yeah. you now have to come yeah. to grips. Like whatever you're doing to cope yourself and that's why I say, like, because so, it's not like it's not like the traditional Walking Dead show. where, like, yeah, situation overall is pretty shitty if you think about it. You know, world's mostly dead. You're trying to survive. People trying to eat you alive, but you can still go out. You can still farm, and you can still try and you know grow things and bake things and teach kids and what and still live a mostly normal life. I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. But in this instance, you can't do any of that. Like, you're just trying to a survive from the walkers and then b not try to get radiated to death. Yeah, like it's it's one of the wildest things th- to see, just like how everybody's coping, and it's not healthy. Like, but no. how, but then again, how can it be healthy? No, a nuclear weapon just went off. Your the landscape was already shit to begin with. Well, so the situation's already shit to begin with, but then you flush more shit down it. Yeah, so like you understand why they're doing it. It's one thing yeah. with the Walking Dead universe when the, I will say they they get right. There is a very gray area when it comes to things being right and wrong. Yeah. 
because you're ultimately in survival mode and how you're coping with this new world. Like I say, for John, who's sitting there and just denying it, and even June, who's throwing up that fake counter because she's not ready to deal with what has happened because, I mean, let's face it, everything has just completely gone up in smoke that they've been accustomed to and trying to survive in the world that is now. There's no hope. Like, I mean, how, how do you survive this? And there's no easy answer. So I do like that the fact they gave him some time to do it, except, like I say, they got a little repetitive and they they drew things out a little bit, I think. Sure. Just to explain the dead body. But I get it. It made sense. It gave John a little background that we weren't familiar with. And then when we get the end, when it's Morgan finally coming to save the day, I mean, that was the only thing that kind of threw me off a little bit, of like how he would be able to find them. Mm-hmm. But as Morgan, I don't I don't question that. And then anytime we get a standoff and now it's it's game on, because Strand is sitting there just being the uber supervillain. Yeah. And he's just like, you, you, I've won. Like, you can't do anything. I'm literally getting up in the morning to just stick it to you every single chance. You're going to die out here. I'm going to celebrate. I win. And Morgan's like, you haven't won anything. Like, have you not realized what I've gone through pretty much? Right. Every chance that Morgan has been, like, written off or dead, he somehow survives. Like, he has that Daryl Dixon atmosphere to him, but it's not completely out of the realm of thought that, like, Morgan is going to get killed off at one point. Mm-hmm. It just it isn't. But wh- how they did this episode, I really enjoyed. I liked it better than uh, episode two. And I'm really excited to see where they go moving forward with the season. I think there's this is a lot of win to be had with the show. And like I say, if you're still not on board with Fear the Walking Dead, give it a shot. Jump in. And you're getting introduced to characters very well. Like, if you don't know everything about them, you get the basics. And that's one thing that I really think helps this show. You get enough that you can realize who's good and who's not. And you can kind of go from there. And then if you take the deep dive back, you get more of a payoff when everything happens like this. Man, a lot of win with this series going on. So definitely make sure to check it out on AMC Sunday nights. 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, but you heard my take. Now I want to hear yours, ODPH Society. Hit me up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. Fear of the Walking Dead, Episode 3, entitled Cindy Hawkins. What's your reaction? Let's talk. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome to our channel, The Nerd Crusade. I'm Beastie Boy. I'm Table. I'm Red. It is I, Shino Brando. We discuss topics from across the nerdiverse, from video games, anime, comics, and more. And if you want to chat with us, you can find us on Twitter at Crusade Nerd, on Instagram at Nerd Crusade, on Twitch 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time every single week. You can find us wherever podcasts are found by searching Nerd Crusade. And that's to be continued. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and it is finally time. Eternals is hitting the movie theaters this week. Yes. The latest installment in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, number 26, if I'm doing my math right. I believe so. Is now going to grace the theaters. We've gone over the trailers in the past. Early reviews have been mixed. Yeah. So this is just going to basically break down the last minute details you need to know before you go to the theaters. So this project is based off a 1976 comic based from the Jack Kirby Library. So you, I've heard of him. I was going to say you should know who he is, the king of all kings. And this was his return to Marvel after a little brief stint at DC where uh-huh. he did most notably the New Gods, who we do know spawned off one of the greatest, if not the greatest, villain in all of DC Comics history, 
And that is one dark side. Yep. So when he came back to Marvel, he did create the Eternals, which is a mix of a little bit of Greek mythology mixed in with space technology. They're very unique characters that come from the Celestials, who you have seen in the trailers. That's the one character that everybody thinks is Galactus. But yeah. trust me, folks, Galactus is not in this movie. And nope. I'm sorry, I don't. there's no easy way to say it to you. He's not going to be in here. They have the rights to him, just he's not in the movie. Yeah, there's no sense to put him in. And this is supposed to be allegedly the history of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm -hmm. Because the Eternals have been around for a very, very long time and have gone and seen the events of the world unfold until they are allegedly brought out into action. So, Pad, going into this movie, which has got a very star-studded cast, too. We should probably go over that first. Yeah, uh, so you've got playing the role of Cersei, Gemma Chan. Uh, playing the role of Icarus, you have Richard Madden. Playing the role of Fina, you have someone named Angelina Jolie. Mm -hmm. Never heard of her. Uh, playing the role of Ajak, you have someone named Salma Hayek. Yes. Might have heard of her. Uh, playing the role of Dane Whitman, you have Kit Harrington. Uh, playing the role of King Kingo, you have Kumail uh, Nanjiani. Uh, you've also got Leah McHugh playing the role of Sprite, uh, Brian Tyree Henry playing Fastos, uh, Lauren Ridloff playing Makari, and then you've also got Barry uh, Keoghan playing Druig, among many others. Yeah, so they have definitely loaded up this cast, and I think it's a smart play to do because if you have ever gone to a comic shop, and I am seriously throwing this out there, have you ever really talked to fans that have been like, "Yo, did you check out that Eternals issue on the shelf? Holy crap, man!" I'll be I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, not being a super long time comic reader, I had no idea who the hell Eternals were when they announced this movie. That's fair. That is completely fair. I literally heard that they were spinning this into a project, and I went, "What?" Yeah, because. Even though this book has been around since 76 in different stages. Sure. It's, it's not been something that has had a long thousands of issues. Not exactly, uh, a, house, not exactly a household. Name. No, because it's so different. And it's something that you either are really into the uniqueness of it or you're like, what the heck are these characters about? Sure. And I'm on that latter half. Like, I have just I've never been entranced by these characters and Marvel has done a, a solid job about trying to get them over. Usually they've been big characters in different comics. Sure. Uh, throughout various storylines. I know Neil Gaiman has actually tried taking a chance of doing a miniseries of them, if I'm not mistaken, mm. uh, in the early 2000s. So it's not like they haven't tried getting them over. But I'm sorry. when Every time I see them, my gut instinct is these are the wish version of the new gods from DC. Yeah. I just, I don't connect with them. There's nothing that really stands out that goes, man, these characters are awesome. I really got to go pick up some issues. Yeah. It, like I, I have kind of the, in a weird sense, the same vibe as in humans, like in, oh, but yeah. in humans, I, I do like some of the characters more, but these ones, I, it's just the mix of mythology and space odyssey. It just doesn't click with me. Now, am I trying to say that this is going to be a bad film? No. Absolutely not. But I'm saying going in from what we've seen, Pad, what is your initial jumping point in? I mean, it's definitely an interesting choice just from the standpoint of why are you making a, a choice to go with this? Because to me, it's not Marvel sitting there saying, let's just throw something against the wall and see if it sticks. They haven't really done that. Mm -hmm. You know, every move they've done is, is a clear, calculated decision to get to a certain point, even if it doesn't make sense to us at the time. 
it's eventually got an, you know, no pun intended, it's got an end game in mind. Yeah. You know, you know, so clearly they're going with this, with a goal in mind of like, we need to get to a certain point, but to get to a certain point, we need to make a few stops along the way and create, maybe even create a few stops if they don't exist in our universe yet. So clearly they're not just, like I said, they're not just doing this to throw shit against the wall and see if it sticks. They're doing it to get to a point and introduce some stuff. It's just not clear to us what it is yet. And I'm hoping by the end of this, it gets a little bit clear going, oh, okay, I see why they did this now. It introduced X, Y, and Z. And maybe it won't be at the end of the movie, but in a couple movies. But it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, I'm optimistic for it. Like I said, even though, like I said, in my opinion, it, it, I, I reference it as the imitation version of the New Gods or the, yeah. the, the Wish version. Yeah. The, for me, this is just, it's not really jumping at me but i'm optimistic to see what the the vision is going to be like that's the thing about this marvel has proven that they can take ordinary uh characters and really make them this something extraordinary like we live in a day and age and this still blows my mind every day ant-man is a movie franchise Uh uh-huh household name guardians of the galaxy is a movie franchise it goes to show that if you get the right creative teams behind it it can definitely get a fan base excited. I'm hoping this movie does it for Eternals because, like I said, the comics have really never done anything. I mean, we know Chloe Zhao is going to direct it, and, and she's Academy an award-winning director. Exactly, Chloe Zhao. she's got a lot of hype behind her, and to see what she's going to do in a superhero universe is really interesting. We've got Angelina Jolie in a superhero movie, which I'll be honest, I never thought I would see, just because she always struck me as one of those type of actors or actresses that we you know there's always some actors and actresses that like you look at go yeah we might see them in a movie like locks you know some semi locks and then you got leaps Mm -hmm. to me kid harrington was a lock we would see him in some comic book movie of some sort i was just a matter of when i always figured maybe he'd play captain britain or something you know down the road if they ever introduced that character you know but angelina jolie was always one of the types i'm like the caliber of movies she's been in and just the caliber of her name alone I was like, there's no way in hell she's going to be in a, in a Marvel or even a DC movie ever. Mm. So the fact that we have Angelina Jolie in a movie, I'm like, okay, this is gonna, this is interesting. It definitely is. Like I say, they really star-studded this cast. And I think you need to for such obscure characters to really get over and really do something. I just don't see that it's going to make you know, a fan base get that much excited about it unless the script really delivers and they do something different. And like I say, it's a very tricky thing where you have all these superpowered beings who allegedly have been around since the dawn of time yeah. and have literally sat back and watched the world unfold before them and just they don't get involved. And they, I know they explain it in the film. Sure. But I need a little more details than what I've sure. seen on the trailers sure. because I'm still not buying that. Uh, to me, that's not anything super crazy. Yeah. But... I'm going in with an optimistic mind, and I'm going to tell everybody right now, watch out for bonus scene leaks. Yeah. This has been something, unfortunately, I did find out uh, about one of the bonus scenes. I'm not talking about it on social media. I'm not even going to hit up on DM. This is, it's it's something that I want fans to go in and really get your own opinion about. Because, Mm -hmm. like I say, even though the character's, are not really driving a point with me. Yeah. I'm still excited to see what this is going to do because this could be something that wins me over. Sure. Like I said, I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt. I'm not going in based off every single critic's review of it because, like I said, it's been mixed. Some have had some really uh, 
bad reviews of it? I say I think at the current recording time, it's like fifty nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It, it whatever it is, it's the first Marvel film to have a rotten score on Rotten Tomatoes, which is what it is. You know, I'm optimistic to see the movie. To this point, Marvel hasn't put out a a miss. I with the exception being, of course, in humans. But in terms of the films, they've all been great. Some better than others. I mean, let's be honest, you know, but still, they've all been very good in their own rights. You know, so I'm going to go in optimistic. Chloe Zhao, obviously a very good director, you know, did Nomadland, you know, but the only thing that concerns me is, I know I said on a previous episode that like, I've got faith Marvel can pull off a lot of characters on screen before. In the weeks since I've said that, I've kind of sat there and thought about it and, and stood on it a little bit. Marvel can pull off multiple characters on screen, but they only did that after they established them all. Yeah. We think of Civil War and the, char- the characters there. To this point, you know, in Civil War specifically, the only character on screen who hadn't really been established in the films was Black Panther. Right. Spider-Man was new to the MCU, but Christ, if you didn't know who Spider-Man was at that point, you must have been in a coma for 20 years. Mm. Everybody else, we knew who it was. Same with, you know, Infinity War and then Endgame. They can pull off these multi-part stories where, like, there's a lot of people on screen, but we know who they are. The only thing that concerns me is we don't know who some of these folks are. Is it going to be a case of you're just trying to introduce too much, you're trying to introduce too many characters, and get it all on screen at once? Because you can, they can pull it off. They've shown that, like I sure. said. But just with all of these new characters, we don't know who any of them are. That's the only concern I have. And that's a fair one. That's extremely fair because this is a relatively unknown property to put out to the world. And like I say, unless you're unless you're an old school comic head, you're not going to really know who these characters are. And I understand that the Marvel's brought them back in a new book, and I've heard good things about the book. I haven't picked it up, sure, but I've I've heard some good things. Like I've kind of skimmed a little from online, but nothing super crazy, you know, yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah. But I'm I just I sit here and I go, this could be the first lost Marvel takes, in my opinion. Could be. It's just it's a tough property to sell. I mean, it's got a it's got a rating on IMDb, but I'm not going to read it simply because there's no way in goddamn hell three point eight three point eight thousand people have seen this movie already. Yeah. Like so, well, I I got no issue mentioning the Rotten Tomatoes score simply because that's an aggregate score of you know, or whatever of the critics reviews, you know, so that's, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But IMDB rating is from registered users on the IMDB site, going to it and reviewing it regardless of if it's out or not. Yeah. So that very well could be a score of people just review bombing it for various reasons. And you can see what those reasons are. If you do some searching online. Yeah. So I'm not going to read the score here because also I don't even think the movie's out. Is it out internationally? yet? I don't think it's out internationally yet. I haven't seen any numbers for what it's done box office wise. So there's no way in hell 3.8 thousand people have seen this movie already. Yeah. It's a tricky thing. So that's why I say, just go in with an open mind and check it out. It's Marvel. So you know what you're going to get. You're going to get bonus scenes. I believe there are two. Okay. Um, That's about about the standard. Yeah. Which is a standard, but like I say, I've, I've heard one. um, That that stinks. It it does. But you know what? That's why I say, I keep it to myself and it it did not sway my opinion. Sure. Either way on the film. Uh, I'll say that right now. Without saying anything. But with this movie, I'm interested to see how they do these characters. Like I said, I've never been super fans of them. Because I just... I, every time I see them, I see New Gods. And New Gods really... Mm. New Gods jumps at me. That's that's how it goes to me. But I'm open to see what this is going to do. Like I said, the cast is there. Yeah. The fact they're, they're tying in a little bit of the Avengers to a degree. Yeah. 
in this is interesting, and that's not a spoiler if you've read the comics. It's also not a spoiler if you've seen the trailer. Yes. But like I say, they, they touch upon the MCU. Yeah. I'm, I'm also mentioning about the comics ah. because I think that explains why one character is in the trailer. Gotcha. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Understandable. So final thoughts on the movie before we wrap this segment up. Uh, excited to see a new Marvel film on the big screen. I know it hasn't been that long, but hey, it's been a little bit of a drought with Marvel content since What If ended. So I'm excited to see this next step. And I'm excited to see what it brings to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Obviously, we got things introduced you know, with Iron Man and, and Captain America. And then we got kind of a little bit of an expansion with uh, Thor and bringing in the Norse and, and kind of that aspect. We got another expansion, you know, in that universe with Guardians of the Galaxy and bringing in the interstellar aspect. I'm interested to see what this brings and, and what this adds to the kind of the quilt, if you will, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and, and to see where it goes from here and what springs off from here because there's been some great stuff that springs off, sprung off of all of these Marvel films. And I'm interested to see what springs off of this. I am too. I'm really waiting to see about this because this is Marvel's biggest gamble. I could fully see this taking an L. I really can. I think you're going to hear the word mutant said for the first time. I think when they go through the history, this is going to be the new reset point of the MCU moving forward for phase four, going into phase five. I think that there's a lot riding on this, and I'm just not sure how it's going to translate. That's my biggest fear with this, because we are talking about relatively unknown characters, unless you're talking to old school comic heads. If you're talking to the comic fans that have been there reading since the 70s, 80s, and even up to the 2000s, that have an idea who some of these characters are and some of the connections they have with other MCU characters, meaning Marvel Comics universe, then you're going to see a payout. But to what degree, I'm just interested to see how they all tie it in. And we'll kind of have to see what we play it forward because you know we'll be reviewing it next week on the show. 72-hour embargo is in effect after Thursday. Just putting that out there as well because we don't like spoiling anything for anybody. We gave you our takes, a preview of Eternals going into the film. Now we want to hear yours. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your takeaway going into Marvel Studios Eternals dropping this week at movie theaters? We definitely want to have the conversation. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Side Room Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Cause I wanna go Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Let's wrap this show up with some one-shots, shall we, Pad? Got to talk about a couple things, one of which is breaking news. Hey, they Whoa, waited. they waited for us? They waited for us. Uh, we have got a new casting addition to the Netflix live-action version of Avatar The Last Airbender. Uh, that is, this gentleman will be playing Fire Lord Ozai, the overarching big bad who uh, was voiced by the great Mark Hamill in the animated series. Uh, playing said character will be Daniel Day Kim. Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck yes, give this to me. This comes to us courtesy of the folks over at HollywoodReporter.com. And if that weren't official enough, it was posted on the Netflix Geeked Facebook page, so that's about as official as it gets, folks. These facts. Uh, it says, uh, Daniel Day Kim is joining the cast of Netflix's live-action Avatar The Last Airbender series. The series, now overseen by showrunner Albert Kim uh, from Sleepy Hollow and Nikita, is described as a reimagined take on Nickelodeon's beloved anime, animated franchise. Uh, Kim will portray the series' regular role of Fire Lord Ozai, the ruthlessly driven leader of the Fire Nation who demands everyone live up to his impossible standards, especially his teen son, Prince Zuko. 
Ozai's drive to conquer and unite the world under firebender rule is a family burden. He believes that it's his destiny to finish a war started by his ancestors. Uh, so definitely a great villain, definitely a great casting for this show. Uh, Fire Lord Ozai, I don't want to give any spoilers for when the show comes up, but you will learn that man has got a short temper and big ambitions. Uh, and you will learn that very quickly. Super excited for this. Of course, this is not uh, Daniel Day Kim's first uh, foray into the Avatar The Last Airbender uh, universe. In uh, the first show, Avatar The Last Airbender, he voiced uh, General Fong, who was in one episode from season two. Uh, and then in uh, The Legend of Korra, he voiced uh, Hiroshi Sato, who was a rather uh, major character uh, for that show. So it, great casting, in my opinion. And holy shit, that's awesome. Yeah, no, that's a dope casting. Uh-huh. Super amped about that one. Yeah, uh, switching, uh, sticking with some Netflix news, uh, we got a poster from the folks over at the Lost in Space Facebook page, uh, and we got a release date for the show. Of course, season three is coming this year. It is the final season in Lost in Space, and boy, based off of that cliffhanger ending, which I don't want to spoil because you should go watch the show, it's amazing. It's going to be real interesting to see where they go from here. Uh, the post did say, four weeks until the epic conclusion of Lost in Space. Drop your theories. Uh, with a poster uh, where we see the robot holding a what would pro- appears to be an unconscious Will Robinson uh, on a planet with some thunder in the background. It looks like there's asteroids in the, yeah, in the sky. Yeah, that's a wild scene right there. Yeah, uh, it says the epic conclusion. Then it says Lost in Space 3, for season 3, and it's dropping on December 1st. Cannot wait. Super great show. Uh, really great adaptation, I must say. I remember uh, not well, this year, but the last was it 2019. They had the panel for season two at New York Comic Con. And when they were doing a Q&A, I do remember there was a fan who went up there and, and complimented the, the uh, producers of the show who were on stage mm-hmm. and said, hey, listen, as somebody who grew up watching the original series on television, you guys are doing a fantastic job. And I got to say, it's a great show. It's it, You should really give it a check out if you're looking for something to watch on Netflix. Yeah, it definitely looks very interesting. You know, sad they're canceling too early, but you know, Netflix got a yeah. lineup coming out. Yeah, though. they do. Yeah, they do. Uh, switching over to some Hulu news. Uh, coming this Friday, uh, November 5th, uh, season two of Animaniacs is dropping. Yes. Oh, my God, have mercy. This show is going to be insane. Season one was already great. And I'll tell you what, folks. Animaniacs is known for their relevant humor and their topical jokes uh, based off of current events. Last season premiered, I want to say it was last year, 2020, whatever it was. Uh, those jokes were written in 2018. They make it very clear because... They needed to recap or catch up with what they missed from the last time they were on the air. So in the first episode, they do a recap catch-up song. Mm. And, you know, they try to catch up with what's been going on since the show was written. But they're like, wait, all of these jokes were written in 2018. How are we going to make jokes if we don't know what's happening? And they're like, oh, well, let's take some guesses. And they're all hilariously wrong. But the jokes, in as topical as Animaniacs is and over-the-top as it can be, those jokes were written in 2018. They've got three years' worth of material, folks. It's going to be insane because they're on a streaming platform. They don't have to worry about the censors like they did back in the day when they were on television. They can go places. Oh yeah, boy. this is going to be a wild, wild oh, season two. God have mercy. I cannot wait. I know Pat is super amped up about this. Super one. excited for it's this. It's ridiculous. Uh, then we got some information about, from the uh, Sopranos creator who opened up about the original ending of the show. Uh, of course, everyone, hmm. of course, the, uh, spoiler alert, I guess it's been out long enough. You should know. 
everyone knows how the Sopranos ends. We're, you know, in the, in the diner and it fades to black. It aired and crashed the Sopranos website and all of HBO's websites. So, hey, it was that divisive. Uh, you had the uh, show creator, David Chase, did an interview with The Hollywood Reporter and he revealed to us what the original ending was going to be. And uh, it was not what was uh, planned out. Uh, he said, quote, the scene I had in my mind was not that scene. Nor did I think of cutting to black. I had a scene in which Tony comes back from a meeting in New York in his car. At the beginning of every show, he came back. He came from New York into New Jersey, and the last scene could be him coming from New Jersey back into New York for a meeting at which he was going to be killed. Close quote. Uh, he then uh, goes on to say and explain how he came up with the idea for what the ending eventually became. Uh, he said, "Quote: I was driving on Ocean Park Boulevard near the airport, and I saw a little restaurant." It was kind of like a shack that served breakfast. And for some reason, I thought Tony should get into a place like that. Why? I don't know. That was like two years before. Uh, so then he goes on to say some stuff about the episode and kind of its reception. You know, he said uh, in regards to just how much the conversation about the ending, you know, was not about the show itself, just how the show ended, that end shot. Uh, He said, quote, yeah, nobody said anything about the episode. No, it was all about the ending. I had no idea it would cause that much. I mean, I forget what was going on in Iraq or something or someplace. London had been bombed. Uh, Nobody was talking about that. They were talking about The Sopranos. It was kind of incredible to me, but I had no idea it would be that much of an uproar. And was it annoying? Was it annoying? What was annoying was how many people wanted to see Tony killed. That bothered me. They wanted to know uh, that Tony was killed. They wanted to see him go face down in Linguini, you know? And I thought, God, you guys, you watched this guy for seven years and I know he's a criminal, but don't tell me you don't love him in some way. Don't tell me you're not on his side in some way. And now you want to see him killed? You want justice done? You're a criminal. You're a criminal after watching this shit for seven years. That bothered me. Yeah, close quote. Okay, so as somebody that owns every season of The Sopranos, mm-hmm. and I think it's one of the best shows on TV. Sure. I'm not going to say the best. Sure. I think it's up between The Wire and Breaking Bad. Oh, yeah. You had to kill Tony off. Like, the fact that... James Gandolfini, rest in peace, yep. was so charismatic as Tony. He did capture you. Mm-hmm. And you did find yourself rooting for him at points. Sure. But still, he was doing bad things. Uh-huh. Like, why are we giving the grace period to that? I'm, I'm sorry. Like, no, that's how you were going to end the show. You're like, oh, my God, you're going to kill him off. What do you do with every great villain? He, he has his come over at yeah. the end of the day. Like, I'm sorry. Like, that's how it should have ended, in it, my opinion. It's like with Breaking Bad. You know, spoiler alert, because you should have watched Breaking Bad by this point. And if you haven't, what's wrong with you? Mm. For a while in Breaking Bad, you can sit there and go, oh, okay, I hope Walt gets a, a satisfying ending and a happy ending. But there reaches that point where you're like, there's no coming back from this. Yeah. Like, like, you reach a point where not even just from a logical standpoint of, like, real world, but, like, just from a storytelling standpoint of, like, there's no happy ending in this. It's just the shit you've done and the shit that is laid at your feet that you were responsible for, you can't just walk off into the sunset happy-go-lucky with your family holding your hand. Yeah. Like, you reach a point, if we're being realistic and keeping the show grounded in reality to a certain degree, you just can't have a happy ending. Yeah, there's just no way to do this. So if you're trying to spin that, I'm sorry. Like, I'm just not vibing off that. 
if you wanted him to get killed, then I'm sorry. He should have got killed, in my opinion. Sure. I give those very po- unpopular opinions. I was, he should have got killed. You sure. Know, you know my feelings concerning new gods. You know my feelings concerning Eternals. This is what I give. I'm sorry. You needed to kill him off. Sure. I mean, let's face it. There's only, in my estimation, that I can think of for great television shows, there's only ever been, you know, one instance in live action that you've pulled off a happy ending or like not even like a happy ending, like a perfect ending. And that's Breaking Bad. Yeah. You know, Dexter, enough said. Ironically coming back this Sunday. Right, but you but you look at, you know, its initial ending and you know, and how divisive that was. Yeah. You look at Lost and just people to this day don't like the ending, confused about what the fuck happened and everything else. You know, Heroes fell apart towards the end, although I, you know, I chalk that more up to the writer strike which happened right in the middle of the damn show. So, you you know, with that, but there's been plenty of great shows over the Game of Thrones. Hello. Mm-hmm. No, enough said. You know, but there's been plenty of great shows over the years that just stumble at the end. They just don't have that clean finish. It happens. It's just a part of filmmaking, or filmmaking and television. Yeah, I mean, they took a gamble with how they did it, but if the fans want to voice their opinion about it, I mean... There's only one show that ever pulled off a successful ending three times, and that's Star Wars Clone Wars. They had three series finales, and they all ended incredibly. Yeah, so I disagree with your opinion. <laughs> that's the way I'm going to leave that end for that segment. Sure. Uh, switching over to some comics news, uh, we, uh, the writer, the workers over at Image Comics have formed a union. Wow. Uh, uh, so this is announced to be an official statement. Uh, the union is going to support create, creators in the comics books industry and was launched uh, by several key figures at the company. Uh, it said, quote, we, the workers of Image Comics, have formed a union. For years, comics publishing workers have watched our professional efforts, support creators, and delight readers. Sadly, we have also watched that same labor be taken for granted at best and exploited at worst. Keeping our heads above water was the new normal before the pandemic, and since its onset, we have been expected to take on even larger workloads with fewer resources. Our work, uh, our workforce uh, and the comic book in publishing industry as a whole is overtaxed and undervalued. This is detrimental not only to the general staff, but also to the creators we are paid to serve and the audiences they in turn work to entertain. We love what we do, but uh, loving what you do doesn't mean you can't or shouldn't uh, ask for improvements to your working conditions. It is with this in mind and with the great hope for the future of Image Comics and the comic book industry itself that we announce our intent to form a union and request voluntary recognition, close quote. Wow. Big big news. That's big news. Definitely something to keep an eye on in the future here. Uh-huh. That's, wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and we were talking, of course, Eternals uh, last segment, and you mentioned a couple times. We got some new gods news. Okay. Uh, so Ava DuVernay went on, uh, what was it? Uh, where is it? Uh, Andy Cohen's uh, Sirius XM show. Uh, and obviously being Ava DuVernay, she's involved in many projects. Uh, one of which being uh, DMZ, which is coming to HBO Max next year. And then you've got Naomi, which is going to be on CW next year. Obviously the topic of uh, DC and New Gods came up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she had this to say, uh, quote, You know, my overall deal was at Warner Brothers and DC is at Warner Brothers. So once I got to Warner Brothers, I was like, I'm going in that vault and I'm going to look at what y'all got. And I love New Gods, which is the project that got axed. The studio decided that they did not want to pursue a certain part of that comic world based on some things that were going on with another film in that world. So before I even was able to complete my script with Tom King, they they asked it. Uh, but I already 
but I had already two projects going Naomi, which will be on the CW next year and DMZ, which will be on HBO max next year. Uh, close quote. So she didn't name it, but going on and and of course, uh, if you don't remember, cause I had to dig it up. New gods was officially announced as canceled back in April, uh, of 2021 going on. It said time when she and Tom King would have been writing, uh, said film was the Zack Snyder justice league cut. So one could pause plausibly draw some connections that between one and the other, that what was going on in Zack Snyder justice league cut caused DC to ax new gods and not want it to get made for God knows what reason. Okay. Uh, I, at this point you got to look at the Snyder verse for causing this to get canceled. Mm-hmm. You have to, I mean, in, in my opinion, because dark side is so much a part of new gods that mm-hmm. if there was a version that the studios and powers that be wanted to go with more so than others. Sure. That's the one they were going with. I don't think it had anything to do with Eternals as much as I kid about, you know, the quote unquote wish version and all oh, that yeah, nonsense, yeah, yeah. which is a joke if anybody hasn't figured that out. Um New Gods, I mean, it was gonna be a tricky project to bring to the screen anyway. I think anytime you try dabbling in that sci-fi mythology, a lot of moving parts going on. Sure, with it. sure. Albeit, though, I think Ava DuVernay would have done a fantastic job. You know my feelings about Tom King. He's one of my favorite writers. Oh, yeah. I would. I was all sold about this. So the fact that it got canceled is disappointing. I would hope they would maybe possibly come back to it down the road. But if I understand why if you have one version of Dark Side and yeah. if you're getting the itch, to yeah. do a shared universe again, uh, yeah, you know that's that's kind of where it is. Well, and, and we know they were working on it because I forget what panel it was, but when we were at New York Comic Con in 2019, Tom King was there, and he got asked about it. DC Nation, yeah, it was the DC Nation panel, and they did a Q and A about that movie. And while Tom couldn't say anything, he said, "You know, Ava and I are working on the script right now." So that was in 2019. Yeah, that they were still writing the script. Which well, is, which is not if you're sitting there go well why are they still working on the script in 2020 listen it's not uncommon for films to go through multiple scripts multiple rewrites over the course of a year or two or several years if you look at some movies yeah and and he has a great voice for writing that universe as well yeah. I mean, he's, his Mr Miracle is one of the best comics you'll ever read <sighs> I digress though man that's depressing the, yeah. the it got canceled it was something I had lined up to check out but I guess we'll, have well to and just leave. and just the fact that you had a comic book writer writing the script mm. which is so and i could be wrong so unusual at this point because yes i get that like comic book writers if a story that they wrote is used that they'll get a writing credit mm. but that's not the same as writing the script no you had a comic book writer writing the script for this i was super amped up for that that movie because i'm like oh this is going to be potentially really awesome because we're not hearing it from we're not hearing the story from someone who's a fan of the of the work and it's their interpretation of this no we're hearing this from a guy who's written comics and knows what to say and what to do yeah ah it's just one of those coulda woulda shoulda moments yeah, in hollywood yeah damn it so going to my one shots, we did get the promotional poster for the Flash Armageddon crossover. Oh coming yeah! Out. So some f- familiar, f- some familiar faces. Man, I'm getting too amped up talking new guys. Uh, we see Brandon Roth is back as yep. Adam. Yep. We see the one and only Alex Danvers. Yep. We see uh, Kate. Uh, Oliver Queen's daughter from the future, uh, Mia Queen. Mia Queen. Yeah. Thank you. I was almost going to say the actress's name. 
Black Lightning, yep. Batwoman, and Barry and Iris in the picture. The five-episode event is starting Tuesday, November 16th on the CW. So if you are still checking that universe out, and you know we like to pop in there every now and then, uh, we'd definitely be having something to say about that when it drops. Uh, also, keeping it CW, Stargirl Season 2 wrapped up. Very strong ending, very strong season. Uh, there's a lot going on with it. Anytime you bring the Justice Society of America to the small screen or big screen, you know that it's kind of overwhelmed a lot of times with being involved in the Justice League. But the JSA is always solid. This show definitely did not lose a beat uh, for season two. Loved what they did with Eclipso. Loved the growth of the characters. And you know took that you know modern retro feel and just grew from it. Definitely had a lot of future endeavor ideas going on for season three, I guess is the easy way to put it, that every character came out of this a little more uh, changed than there was. So definitely excited to see a lot of the familiar faces and where they're going. And they did show who the big bad's going to be in in season three. Hmm. That if you're not familiar with the JSA or its spinoff book, uh, Infinity Inc. You might want to get familiar now uh, because that character debuted in Infinity Inc. So definitely doing a little comic history, which, I mean, if you're not familiar with Infinity Inc., it was kind of like the spinoff of the uh, younger version of the Justice Society. Mm, so, okay, okay. Yeah, like I always I always refer to it as, like, you know how DC does, like, the family tree, so to speak? Yeah. You have... Justice League and Teen Titans is the sidekicks and they you know uh goes from Young Justice there and, yeah, and so yeah, forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. JSA does the same thing with Infinity Inc. But uh, Infinity is just one of those books that it didn't really connect in my opinion. Mm. Like I say, it's, it's one of those things. I give my opinions. It's what I said. You know, I said about the books. A lot of people did like the book though. Uh yeah. just just was not my cup of java, so sure. to speak. But I'm definitely gonna be watching season three of Stargirl. Rest assured about that. So definitely kudos to everybody at Stargirl for doing an amazing season two. If you haven't checked it out, make sure to go hit it up on streaming. I believe it's on right now, the CW app, and wherever you check out the CW programming. Uh, So that being said, uh, comics news, definitely want to shout out Valiant Comics. Okay. Now, this has been, if you've been on their mailing list, you know that this book was going to be hitting Kickstarter, and that's Eternal Warrior Scorched Earth, one of the more legendary characters of the Valiant universe. They have a project coming out. Uh, first day they already hit goal. Wow. Good for them. They crushed it. So if you are interested in checking that out, and I hope you do, uh, swing on over to valiantentertainment.com and they have the, you know, you can be able to find the information there or hit them up on Twitter too. Cause I know they've been posting as well. The book I'm definitely excited to go check out, um, uh, being, like I said, I'm an old school Valiant fan. So for me, this is a, you know, a no brainer to go get, uh, my, copy of so to speak uh so i'm definitely gonna just choose which one i want to go get but like i said yeah. the, the fact that comics i know are doing this thing where they do a little kickstarter action and it causes a nice buzz valiant hit a home run with this one man they crushed that goal on the first day that's so yeah, kudos for them. To, kudos to them definitely excited to go check that book out and everything going on with valiant as well you definitely want to get familiar valiantentertainment.com for more information on that and my last base well, we had another Marvel trailer come out, so to speak. Oh, yeah. And that was the Morbius official trailer. Yeah. You know, the, we got a little more footage of Jared Leto uh, as the title character, which, like I say, um, it's interesting to see that this is getting a, a project. 
I'm I'm not I I really was not amped up to see this. I know the sure. first trailer it was better than I thought. This one um it looked good, mm-hmm. but it wasn't anything that was like take my money now. Yeah. You know, the only takeaways we did see Michael Keaton reprise his role as Vulture. Sure. And kind of allude to that whole Sinister Six vibe that they've been doing. They did allude to Venom. Mm-hmm. So I know that that's the easy buzz to talk about. Well, um, I know there's uh, there's confusion with where this mo- what universe this movie takes place in. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, it's the MCU. Sure. Because if you've seen the after the end credits or heard about it by now of Venom, Let There Be Carnage, listen, from here on out, everything that Sony's doing is in the MCU, in my opinion. Like, it's a, it's, it's a done deal. Mm-hmm. Because if you see what I'm talking about, you'll know exactly why I'm saying that. Thanks, drunk Tom Holland. Yes. So, that being said... If you don't know what I'm talking about, look up the story. Yeah, yeah, we don't want to get into just, that. Just, but. just Google drunk Tom Holland, Bob, Bob Iger. Yep, he's a, he's a legend in our eyes. But the trailer, like I said, getting back to Jared Leto, um, it looked okay. I, I I know some people in our podcasting creative content creating family have been really amped about this. Sure. Um, like I said, I thought it looked better than I was originally going into, but I'm still not like, whoa. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean this for me, unless I see Tom Holland on screen for this movie and more than just a cameo appearance, mm-hmm. I have no interest in seeing this movie just because it's, it's nothing against Jared Leto and it's nothing against the character. But to me, it's like doing a a Metallo movie or a Mr. Mixoplick movie and not having Superman in the movie. Like, why the fuck are we here? You yeah. know, it's like having a Riddler movie or a Penguin movie and not having Batman. Yeah. Why the fuck are we here? Like, one goes with the other, you know. So I have no urge to see a Morbius movie on its own. If it sets something up down the road... I'll just go back and watch it on on demand or on streaming, whatever streaming service it ends up on. Yeah, you know. But for right now, and and I know there was a one shot in the first trailer with Spider Man's on the graffiti wall art that don't fucking count, you know. So unless Tom Holland is in this movie in a significant role for more than just a cup of tea, I have no urge to see this. No, and that's a fair take, Pat. That is a, that is one. I mean, I'll probably go check it out just because I usually go check out every comic movie just to get sure. an opinion. And this one, like I say, the bar is set very low. Yeah. Just because I've read Morbius comics and not necessarily Dark Phoenix low, but it's low. No, it's low, but like I say, he's Morbius has never been a character that I think can really make a deep run. Like I know yeah. when they did the Midnight Suns back in the nineties, yeah, had a decent start, sure, but kind of faltered after that. Well, and even myself, not being the most storied Spider-Man reader, all, all I really knew about him until you had this come along was he had the run for like a couple episodes in the animated show in the nineties. And then there was a side story mission with him in the PlayStation port, because I had the PlayStation Portable game for Spider-Man 3, the Tobey Maguire one, Mm -hmm. where there was a whole side mission story with Morbius. That's about all I know of the guy. Like, he's never been that big of a household name outside of the cartoon. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the whole thing. He had a resurgence in the 90s, but... sure. But like I said, there was a different time in Marvel where they were taking more shots of doing the Midnight Suns line, which I know when we saw the video game you know, uh, trailer get put out, that's the first thing that clicked in my head of seeing that group. But, you know, for this movie, I, I'm more intrigued by it, but, yeah. I'm, but it's not like screaming, take my money. I'm not as of yet. But, hey, if you liked it, you liked it. That's the thing about it. You can make an opinion and have it. And you know what? I'm not going to fault you for it either way. Just saying. But that being said... The music you heard on this edition of the ODPH 
Is that a shout out the robots? They're fantastic people. Uh, you should go support the hell out of them. Yeah. That's a certified fact. Pad, where do I go to find out about Shout? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. Swing on over to the music section. Check out everything going on with Shout. Check out everything going on with Brian Wolf, Floodlands, Second Suitor, Tom Jolu, Yard Party, all the amazing groups you hear on the ODPH network. You can also head on over to the directory where Pad, if I say you want to find the podcast, do we have your favorite podcast player up there? Probably. Because we keep growing that every day. Good Pods is up there now, too, where we are currently number one on pro wrestling and sports. Hey. And I forget where we ranked in the entertainment. Well, we're, we're in a couple different categories there. But sure. that's the cool thing about Good Pods. They're, in, they're helping indie pods. Even though we're not listed as an indie, we're still doing great there. So thank you to everybody that's listening to us on Good Pods and dropping those five stars for us. It does mean the absolute world. But you can also check out, while you're at the ODPHpodcast.com, the classified section, which has friends of the show. Has organizational links supporting Black Lives Matter. All the amazing pod groups we're in via their Podchaser pages, because I always say it once, I say it a thousand times. If you claim you're in a pod group and you're not on Podchaser with your page, you're not in a group. So shout out to the inner, cir- inner circle. Shout out to the Apocalypse. And of course, shout out to 607 Podcast and our fam over at 8122productions.com and their Patreon, which, like I said, $1 gets you in the door, $3 gets you comfy seat at a table. All of that, the T Public Store, where a sale is going on. And Pat, there's more ODPH swag to get. Nice. New designs. You need to get this in your system. All that and more, ODPHpodcast.com. That's all I got for this week. So for the one only, Pat Awanche. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.